This is the Incubator and the Neonatology Review Podcast. We are your study buddies for neonatology topics. I'm Dr. Ben Korsha. And I'm Dr. Daphne Yasova Barbo. Welcome. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the podcast. It's Wednesday. We're talking about hypothermia as the summer is uh, upon us. That's right. <laughs> Especially down here. It is it's so sweltering. <laughs> it's sweltering. <laughs> Which, again, I know we have colleagues where it's like, I don't know, it's still snowing. So complain. Yeah, Michael Narvi sends me sometimes the pictures from Manitoba when they have uh, <laughs> snowstorms. He hasn't sent one, sent one to me recently, but I mean, uh, yeah. No, we're... Uh, so... Today, we're going to talk a little bit about some of the questions that always come about when we talk about hypothermia, and um, I'm going to talk about a few studies that I wanted to review. There's like a great paper. Um, actually, let me let me pull it up because I want to give them credit for it. Um, there, there's a bunch of, of very good Neo Reviews um, mm-hmm. articles uh, about therapeutic hypothermia. We will we will post them on the website. One of them is actually called uh, "Caveats of Cooling: Available Evidence and Ongoing Investigations of Therapeutic Hypothermia," and its first author is Joanna Parga Belinki, who is mm-hmm. um, a neonatologist out of CHOP, who is the host of Pediatrics on Call, I think it's called mm-hmm. the podcast right. uh, from the AP. Um, and so, uh, you know, we're a small community. I thought we would give her a shout out because that paper mm-hmm. is really really good. Mm-hmm. Um, her podcast is really good too. Um, but in the case of hypothermia that we're discussing today, um, I wanted to uh, give her a shout out as well. So the first question I wanted to um, bring up was, what about cooling babies that don't meet criteria? Mm-hmm. And I think this is something that is very interesting because it it we're going to talk about mild encephalopathy later today. But, you know, I think we think that... Um, Hypothermia is very benign. Everybody could get it. It's really, there's no harm. And that's not really true. So there's this great study from 2015 in Acta Pediatrica called Cooling Neonates Who Do Not Fulfill the Standard Cooling Criteria, Short and Long-Term Outcome. Mm-hmm. And this is a study from the UK that looked at the effects of cooling babies who did not really meet criteria. And um, they looked at a patient population from 2006 to 2012, and they identified the babies who were cooled and who had not met the usual criteria. They identified 36 infants, which corresponded at the time to about 22% of all the infants that were cooled during that time. So a significant number of babies, mm-hmm. right, who undergo cooling without really meeting criteria. And these patients inco- included babies who were cooled um, later than six hours. They were late preterm. They had uh, postnatal collapse. They had major cranial hemorrhage. They had congenital cardiac disease, or they had some other form of surgical condition. And we will link to the paper, obviously, but what uh, they found was that complication rates and long-term outcomes did not really differ significantly between the two groups. However, infants with major cranial hemorrhage had Mm -hmm. significantly higher rates of coagulopathy and much worse outcome, 80% of death slash disability. So I'm bringing up this study because one of the main side effects of cooling is coagulopathy. And we tend to forget that. That's one of the reasons, that's the main reason why we don't cool preterm babies. Mm -hmm. Um, 
you would never call like a 23 weeker, um, despite the fact that, right, how many babies have been born at 23 weeks in catastrophic circumstances? The first gas is horrible, mm-hmm. but cooling is never an option because, again, coagulopathy mm-hmm. is such an issue. And for preterm babies with high risk of IVH, it's just not a possibility. So that study is a good reminder that coagulopathy is a significant is significantly associated with cooling and should be in the back of our mind when we are deciding to proceed with uh, hypothermia. Yeah, and that that doesn't even take into account, right, the disruption in bonding and breastfeeding and trauma for, for parents, right? And so and so I guess let's talk about that right now because mm-hmm. I wanna we have to make a statement. I believe, um, where... Do we? (laughs) Yeah, I think so. Because I think that a lot of the decisions surrounding the cooling or not cooling a baby now have been clouded by litigation. And Mm. it's becoming... I'm not exactly sure for our listeners where you guys are practicing, but in the US at least, it's become a highly... Mm -hmm. debated topic where litigation is, is... is very prevalent. So clinicians are very much afraid of the situation where you don't cool a baby Mm -hmm. and then the baby suddenly starts developing seizure and then you're going to get sued for not having cooled the baby. And somebody will find an argument saying, well, that baby deserved cooling and and you have to go to court. and, And the hassle alone is something that clinicians would rather avoid. And so there's in the US, I believe this therapeutic creep that we'll talk about where let's cool as many babies as possible. And to be honest with you, the idea of bonding and separation goes right out of the window when mm-hmm. when this comes into play. So it's interesting if you want to, most of the time when I search for articles, I go on PubMed, sometimes Google Scholar, but Google like cooling and HIE mm-hmm. yeah. and in the US, the first page, Google, the first page is just, it's law, just law firms. Law firms. Yeah. 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 So that, that just gets You're right. like, and they're quoting the studies. They're like, mm-hmm. hey, there's this new study that says that if you don't cool within six hours, like just irreparable damage, which we could sue for that, right? It's it's pretty awful. It's pretty awful because we agonize over these decisions and and uh, yeah, it doesn't make things easy. So, all right, that was the, the rant of the day. Uh, <laughs> so another interesting study that uh, we wanted to mention was something published in 2014 in JAMA by the Neonatal Research Network. And it was first authored by Sita Shankaran, and it's called The Effect of Depth and Duration mm-hmm. of Cooling on Death in the NICU Among Neonates with Hypoxic Ischemic Encephalopathy, a Randomized Clinical Trial. I love that study because um, to me, it's, it's, it's an American study, right? If cooling works, if we do it stronger and longer, longer. and better, it has to be better, right? Um, and um, anyway, so, so, so the, they looked at whether cooling babies uh, instead of 33.5 centigrade to 32 degrees and instead of 72 hours, 120 hours. And they said, would that make things better? And they used a two by two factorial design where they okay. basically tested each one individually. So they tested basically like deep cooling, short duration, deep cooling, long duration, regular cooling, 33 degrees, short duration, regular cooling, long duration. So they had like this, this, this two by two table type of thing. And the primary outcome was death or disability at 18 to 22 months of age. And so what was interesting was that uh, the initial outcomes showed that the death rates in the NICU were 7% for the regular cooling protocol, 33.5, 72 hours. And then that jumped to 14% Mm -hmm. in the 32 degrees, 72 hours, 16%, Mm -hmm. 33.5, 120 hours, and 17%, 32 degrees, 120 hours. Mm -hmm. The, The safety advisory board 
stop the trial early. Mm -hmm. Futility analysis determined that the probability of detecting a statistically significant benefit for longer cooling, deeper cooling, or both was less than 2%. So they stopped the study already. Um, You know, it's interesting. I'm not saying they shouldn't have done the trial, but right, the animal studies were, did this, right? mm -hmm. The animal studies you reviewed and the adult studies did this also, you know, Mm -hmm. and we all ended up in the same place. So. Um, and it's always the, it's always the, right. It's always the problem. It's like, well, we knew, but we didn't know. Right. Mm-hmm. So it's like, mm-hmm. um, <laughs> now we know, <laughs> now we know. <laughs> and so then there was a follow-up paper published a few years later, um, following the babies who had been enrolled and who had mm-hmm. been studied, uh, looking at the actual neurodevelopmental data. And that looked at 347 infants with the primary outcome of death or disability. And that pretty much showed no significant difference. Mm-hmm. So 31.8% in the babies cooled for 72 hours versus 316 in the babies cooled 120 hours. And then 31.9% uh, death or disability in the 33.5 centigrade versus 31.5 in the 32 degrees. And so they're very honest and upfront about the fact that the trial was underpowered because it was stopped early. But they did see a significant interaction between longer and deeper cooling with a primary outcome. Um, and so whether this would have translated into any form of significant outcome down the road remains to be seen. But because of the initial safety issues, this is not something that's going to be either investigated or pursued. So, yeah, that's that. Um, okay. Another interesting paper that I saw published in 2017, also in JAMA, called Effect of Therapeutic Hypothermia Initiated After Six mm-hmm. Hours of Age on Death or Disability Among Newborns with Hypoxic Ischemic Encephalopathy, a Randomized Clinical Trial. And this basically is by Dr. Laptok uh, and the Neonatal Research Network. And the question is, what if you cool after six hours? Mm-hmm. Like, can you cool after six hours? And that's something that we all face on a daily mm-hmm. basis, either because the presentation is not obvious or because of just a transfer, right? I mean, how long does it take for the baby to be born, for transfer to be activated, for you to get it? It's just, it's just very Or like you said, it's the baby that, who knows, went to the nursery and then had presenting symptoms, you know, of seizure or poor feeding or something. Right. Um, And so they looked at uh, whether cooling HIA babies between 6 to 24 hours of life could reduce the risk of death or disability at 18 to 22 months of age. Very typical outcome measure for Mm -hmm. the neonatal research network. They had about 80 patients in the study group and 80 in the control group. And the control group were the ones who were not cooled, right? So remember Mm -hmm. that because they were the ones who fell outside the six Mm -hmm. hours and just they they didn't didn't do anything. Mm -hmm. And the results for the primary outcome showed that death or disability at 18 to 22 months of age occurred in 24.4% of cooled infants versus 28% of the controls. The Bayesian analysis using a neutral prior indicated a 76% posterior probability of reduced death or disability with hypothermia relative to the non-cooled group, which meant basically that there is an effect and that um, there is an effect, there is a positive effect on cooling outside that six-hour window Now, the certainty regarding the effectiveness is what the Bayesian analysis shows cannot be really measured. So we're not Mm -hmm. exactly sure how much, but there's definitely some effect. And um, I have called many babies after that window because I have, I don't know how you guys feel. I don't know how you feel, Daphna, but I think like if it was my kid and there is some potential for improvement, then just do it, right? And and that's where I fall on this line. Um, 
curious to hear from the audience what people do. Yeah, I'd love for people to, you know, like you said, it's not, it's not, there are some risks associated with um, cooling. And if the baby presents with definitive features and there's some effect, I, then I, I agree you have a shared decision making with the, oh, yeah. with the family. But yeah. um, add us. <laughs> Let's yeah. know what you think. But I think you're right. I think the idea of shared decision making is critical. Yeah. Okay. Mild HIE. <laughs> dun, dun, dun. Oh, holy smokes. <laughs> Um, I was sweating writing this paragraph because I'm like, <laughs> who am I to talk about this? But I guess I did a, I did a good job because of the first sentence that I wrote. <laughs> I wrote that mm-hmm. we need to have a few things straight off uh, the bat. First, number mm-hmm. one, our definition of mild HIE is not perfect. Mm-hmm. All right, let's all agree on that. So we we don't have a good grasp as to what's mild versus what's moderate. Right? It's it's very subjective. The second thing I wanted to say before I even start reviewing any data is that there is no evidence right now that conclusively helps us decide whether to cool or not a baby with mild HIE. That's Mm -hmm. it. So we have some evidence. It's not perfect. I think you could fall on either side of the line. There is a lot of work being done right now Mm -hmm. to answer this question. But at the time of this recording, we don't have a good answer. Now, let's go over some of the data that we do have. So there's numerous papers that have been published in recent years showing that uh, mild HIE is associated with worse outcomes. And I think that's the first step to mm-hmm. actually answer the question. If you have mild HIE and you're not being cooled, your outcomes are worse than if you didn't have mild HIE. Interesting study called the PRIME study found that disability occurred in 16% of infants at 18 to 22 months of age um, during neurodevelopmental follow-up. Another study by DuPont and colleagues showed that 20% of newborns with perinatal acidemia and a neurologic exam consistent with mild HIE had abnormal short-term outcomes attributable to their encephalopathy, such as seizures, death from progressive asphyxia insult, and abnormal MRI findings consistent with HIE. A retrospective study by Walsh and colleague had found that 54% of infants with mild HIE had abnormal MRI. And so... Um, And this evidence published between pretty much 2013 and 2017 has led to what we now call this therapeutic creep where clinicians started to call babies with mild HIE. And interestingly enough, data from the Vermont Oxford Network, which includes like a lot of units from the US and Canada, Mm -hmm. showed that 40% of babies undergoing therapeutic hyperthermia had neither moderate nor severe HIE. So more of a... Yeah, go ahead. it's, 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 It's more than just... Creep, in my opinion, it's, yeah, it's, it's forty percent right. is a lot of a lot. patients. Sorry, you were but uh, no, I think this is a good time for us to to mention um, maybe the interview we did with Betsy Pilon from Hope for HIE about how many families f- whose babies were not diagnosed, quote unquote, with HIE because nobody said it because they were mild and they didn't get cooled, um, and they didn't get cooled, and who find who find the group you know, later, later in life. Um, but it was a really good interview, um, definitely to talk about the needs of families whose infants have HIE and some of the resources that, that they provide. It's a great organization. So carry on. Okay. So what about then cooling? So we, so we know it's a problem. My other child is a problem. So what about cooling? So I'm going to review three papers. Mm-hmm. And I picked these papers because I think um, they help us in answering the question, even though they don't answer the question. Mm-hmm. The first one was a meta-analysis published in the archives in 2018. In that paper, 
um, the authors looked at mild encephalopathy, which they defined as an instance requiring at least one of the following criteria. They said evidence of intrapartum catastrophe, fetal or neonatal metabolic acidosis, and no resuscitation at birth. And then to quantify mild, they said it was not really defined separately, but was based on the clinical neurological examination performed within six hours of birth reported in the individual studies. Going back to my original point that our definition isn't great. Mm-hmm. The primary outcome of that meta-analysis was the composite of death or moderate or severe disability at or beyond 18 months of age. They included five cooling trials, some um, whole body, some selective cooling. And they looked at trials ranging from 2001 to 2013. The outcome of the meta-analysis showed that there was no significant benefit or harm for therapeutic hypothermia in the case of mild HIE. So that's that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's not like I will, we will have the, the plot on the, on the PowerPoint. It's really not like a few studies are pulling in one direction and a few are mm-hmm. not. No, it's like they're pretty much all in the middle. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah. So then... Um, so that's a good place to start because it, it reviews these five studies. But then there's two more studies that were published and that were not included in this meta-analysis. Um, first, there's a study by Peretta and colleague called Is There a Role for Therapeutic Hypothermia Administration in Term Infants with Mild Neonatal Encephalopathy? And that was published in the Journal of Perinatology in 2019. It's a retrospective study comparing the outcomes of 37 infants with um, moderate HIE to 11 babies with mild HIE, both of which were cooled. The reason I'm bringing up this study is it's a bit of an odd comparison group, right? I mean, obviously, um, the outcomes for mild HIE were quite good. They were better mm-hmm. than the ones for moderate HIE, but they also had mild HIE. So, mm-hmm. uh, so you're you're not really comparing apples to apples. Right. But there's something in that paper that that caught my eye, which was that out of these 11 babies, the authors report that 64% of them progress to moderate HIE Mm -hmm. as evidenced by EEG seizures plus minus clinical seizures. And so this really goes back to this issue of, hey, we have a certain time frame to make a decision. And even if you think they're mild, what if they progress? And when you hear sick, I mean, it's 11 babies, it's really a tiny number, but Mm -hmm. 64% that, like you said, their pathophysiology is evolving. It's really frightening. And, And I think may justify people who say, hey, I want to, I want to call for, for mild HIE. Yeah. I think the, to, to play advocate, I think the concern is that there may be no difference, right? If the, if, you know, if seizures are your presenting symptom, for example, maybe, maybe the, the damage has progressed too far, uh, but we don't know. We don't have the, we don't have those and answers. We, and we know that the data, right, as you mentioned, that the presence of seizure usually happens within the first 24 hours of life. Right. So, so yeah, th- so we're working with two different time windows here. Mm-hmm. So anyway, the last paper I wanted to mention was a paper called hold on, let me let me it's called Therapeutic Hypothermia Initiated Within Six Hours of Birth is Associated with Reduced Brain Injury on MR Biomarkers in Mild Hypoxic Ischemic Encephalopathy, a non-randomized cohort study. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, this was published in the archives by Montaldo and colleagues in 2018. So this is an interesting trial. Again, it involves eight units in the UK, and it looked at 47 newborns with mild HIE. 32 out of the 37 out of the 47 were cooled, and the remaining 15 were not. Even though during in the paper they disclosed that five of those were cooled for like less than 12 hours. Mm-hmm. So I'm not exactly sure what happened, but they mm-hmm. but they mentioned it. 
Um, and this is kind of a good paper because it's a small number, but we're looking at what we want to see, right? Mild versus control. Mm -hmm. They looked at MRI data at uh, two weeks and neurodevelopmental outcomes at two years of age. And the outcomes were, to me, quite impressive. So the mean thalamic N-acetyl aspartate to creatinine ratio, I don't know if you guys remember this, but this is like when you do the MRI, like this spectroscopy, mm -hmm. it has like the NAA over CR ratios. That's what we're talking about. Well, these were much higher in the cold babies. And so was the NAA to, uh, to uh, CHO ratios on the spectroscopy. The cold babies had lower white matter injury scores than non-cold babies, and that was statistically significant. 27% mm -hmm. of the non-cold babies with mild HIE developed seizures after mm -hmm. six hours of age, while none of the cold babies developed seizure. That was also statistically significant. Neurodevelopmental outcome at two years were available in 85% of the cohort, and adverse outcome were seen in 14% of the non-cooled babies, and none of the cooled babies showed uh, adverse outcomes. So again, pretty impressive. Mm -hmm. That was not mm -hmm. really statistically significant. I think we lost the significance because of the, the loss to follow-up, yeah. but still impressive. So, yeah. I mean, at this point, I don't know how you feel, Daphne, but to me, it's, it's hard um, with that evidence out there to like i don't know i'm 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 biased and i mm -hmm. cool probably more than when others would say no need to cool so um but yeah this is this is interesting yeah i mean I, it's evolving and i think over our careers we will answer so, not we somebody somebody's, answer somebody's some working on it um okay since we we don't have time but i just wanted to mention one more thing yeah um there's often this idea that comes um, that comes to mind about like, what about passive cooling? Mm -hmm. um, and really it's a question, but it's not really a question. So if you have like a servo controlled cooling blanket, then that's the standard of care. This is what should be used. However, there's a lot of good data to support that if you are like a level one or if you're a nursery or you're in a place where you don't have anything to cool a baby with HIE, uh, doing passive cooling until a transport team can come pick up the baby mm -hmm. is actually very much beneficial when it comes to getting that baby to target temperature within a reasonable time frame. Mm -hmm. um, and so I think this is something that's useful because I, I mean, maybe some of our listeners practice mm -hmm. in those small mm -hmm. hospitals that don't have this capability. I think this is a good thing to keep in mind. But if you are the person at the, the regional center this is also something you could recommend to the center saying, hey, initiate passive cooling while our transport team is on the way. Yeah, I think the, the only risk is if you can't control the temperature, it's really close monitoring of the temperature to make sure the babies don't get too cold, right? Which we know is, is a risk factor for increased mortality. But at a minimum, we should keep these babies from getting hot, Right. Yes, so, for sure. At least and I think, I think it also, um, um, I think it's, um, it's also dependent on the situation, right? I mean, sure. if you're thinking like in the United States where you could potentially get within an hour, mm -hmm. two hours, you could get that baby to the center. But I'm thinking if you're like in, mm -hmm. I'm thinking about my friends who were talking to me about like their, when they were physicians in India, like mm -hmm. if you have like somebody from a random village calling, mm -hmm. like it's going to mm -hmm. take hours, hours to get the baby. Yeah. Um, I mean, these things could come into consideration Absolutely. and I'm sure they're different, uh, there. Yeah. So anyway, we'll put that paper out there. Yeah. But, and, yeah. uh, if people are listening in, in real time, <laughs> if it's May 22nd, there is a, uh, um, a discussion on Twitter right now 
about uh, when do you initiate passive cooling uh, in the delivery room or when you get back to the unit. So, yeah, it's up for discussion. Um, all right. That's all I have for today. Well, you did a great job, buddy. You, you did a lot of work. Thank you. <laughs> You're welcome. That was fun. All right, Daphne. Bye, everybody. I'll see you tomorrow. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Incubator and Neonatology Review Podcast. If you like our show, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. We would love to hear from you, so please feel free to reach out to Daphna and I via email by sending your messages to nicupodcast at gmail.com. You can also message the show on Twitter at NICUPodcast. Thanks again for listening and see you next time. This podcast is intended to be purely for entertainment and informational purposes and should not be construed as medical advice. If you have any medical concerns, please see your primary care practitioner. Thank you.